Well, heart attacks are one of the leading causes of death in Australia. And so it's a good thing to know some of the signs that can accompany a heart attack so that you can know that you're having one so that you can do something about it. Apparently, uh, the signs to look out for include crushing chest pain, pain down your left arm, turning white, uh, shortness of breath, being unable to move, uh, puffiness, uh, being cold to the touch, and sweating. Now, I've just described myself every time I stand up here to preach. <laughs> anyway, all of these signs, there could be signs that there's something terribly wrong with your heart and maybe you need some immediate medical attention. Somebody call the ambulance, please. Well, according to the Bible, everyone has a problem with their heart. We've all got a kind of a spiritual heart disease. Now, of course, when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's not talking about that thing that's beating inside your chest. It's talking about the very core of who you are. In the Bible, your heart is the, it's the deepest part of you. It's the part of you that holds all of your passions and your desires and your dreams. It's that part of you that determines the things that you will love, the things that you will live for in life. Of course, in the beginning, uh, we were created with hearts that were drawn to God, hearts that lived for God, hearts that loved God. But then, of course, in the actions of that first man and woman, Adam and Eve, all of that changed. When they took hold of that fruit and ate it in disobedience to God, well, something changed in their hearts. It's as though the, the little light bulb in their hearts blew and suddenly there was darkness in their hearts. The spiritual light went out and suddenly they, they were darkened to all the things of God. Their hearts could no longer see God. They were no longer drawn to God. And instead, they became focused on themselves, living only for themselves, loving only themselves. Their hearts became defective, sick. And sadly, it was a condition that they then passed on to the rest of the human race. And the signs of spiritual heart disease have been seen in our world ever since. Greed, bitterness, gossip, sexual immorality, the list goes on and on and on. A terrible insidious disease that has brought misery and heartache into our world. And a disease that in the end leads to death. Uh, not just to physical death, but to eternal spiritual death under the curse of God. It is the greatest problem that all the people of our world have ever had or will ever have. And that includes you and me. But as we'll see today, it's a problem that God has done something about. Of course, here in church, uh, we're currently involved in a sermon series called The Bible Storyline Project. And in it, we're trying to trace that storyline that runs all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. And today we reach part eight of the storyline. And today we'll be specifically focusing on uh, that first Bible reading we had this morning, that one from Jeremiah chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible, open at Jeremiah chapter 31 now. Can I encourage you to grab one and uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. It's page 561 of the small print or 1227 of the large print Bibles. And as you're looking that up, let me remind you of the story so far. What have we seen? 
Well, of course, in part one of the Bible storyline, we saw how God created everything and, and he created it all perfect. But then, of course, in part two, we saw how people spoilt all that as their hearts were darkened and as they turned away from God and then we saw all the terrible consequences that came as a result. In part three, we then saw how God made three great promises to a man named Abraham. He promised that Abraham's descendants would have the blessing of God. He promised that they would have their own special land and he promised that they would be a great people. Then in part four, we saw God starting to fulfill those promises as he rescued Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Then in part five, we saw God make an, an, an agreement or a covenant with the Israelites. He gave them his laws and he told them that if they obeyed them, they would be blessed. But if they didn't, they would be cursed. Then in part six, we saw the Israelites with all these things promised to Abraham. The blessing, the, the land, they were a great people. They had it all. But then in part seven last week, we saw all that taken away. Why? Well, because the Israelites broke that agreement with God. They did not obey his laws and they did not listen to God's warnings. So in the end, God punished them, bringing his curses upon them. What we saw last week was the ultimate display of this spiritual heart disease. The Israelites having every reason to love and obey God, but their hearts darkened and turned away from God and they lost it all. What these Israelites really needed more than anything else was some spiritual heart surgery. Someone to come and fix that defect in their hearts. And that's exactly what God promises to do in part eight of the Bible storyline. In today's passage, God makes a new agreement, a new covenant with the Israelites through a prophet named Jeremiah. An agreement in which God promises that he himself will come and perform that much needed spiritual heart surgery. Here, look with me at God's new agreement, reading from Jeremiah chapter 31, from verse 31. Verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, new agreement, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, No, the Lord because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Okay, so notice here that God is essentially promising two things in this new agreement. Let's take them out of order. 
Firstly, God here promises that he will no longer punish his people for their sins. Now when his people break break his commands, God promises to forgive them and to forget their sins. That's one promise of this new agreement. And secondly, God promises to do something on the insides of his people. He says that he will write his law on their hearts and minds. In other words, he will do something inside of people so that they will actually want to obey his commands from the heart. And that will be accompanied by an intimate knowledge of who God is. They'll know him deeply, personally, intimately. They'll love him. They'll want to live for him. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A beautiful promise. And that is part eight of the Bible storyline. A story where God promises, promises to, to fix that problem of sin once and for all by forgiving the sins of his people and by changing them on the inside so that they'll love God and really want to live for him. And that's part eight. And of course, as Christians here this morning, it's great to know, isn't it, that we are no longer waiting for these beautiful promises to be fulfilled. Because we know that the wait's over, don't we? That, That the new agreement, the new covenant, has already come into effect that it has been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ and that all the benefits of this new agreement are now available to, well, to everyone, not just to the Israelites, but to everyone, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And how do we know that the new agreement has been fulfilled in Jesus? Well, let's think about it for a moment. What were those two aspects of the new agreement? Firstly, the promise that God would forgive and forget all the sins of his people. Of course, we know that that is exactly what Jesus achieved for us when he died on the cross. That's why at the Last Supper, on the night before Jesus died, he passed that cup of wine to his disciples and he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. See, it's through Jesus' death on the cross that our sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. And so we know that he fulfills that part of the agreement. Okay, then what about that second part of the new agreement? That bit about God getting inside us and writing his laws in our hearts. How does Jesus fulfill that? Well, of course, we know that after his death and resurrection... Jesus ascended to heaven and from that point has poured out his Holy Spirit into the hearts of all those who believe in him. And now as the Holy Spirit makes his home in us, he enables us to love God and live for him as we were created to do. That's exactly what happened to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says of them, You show that you are a letter from Christ, 
written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, their lives now demonstrate that the Holy Spirit has written God's law on their hearts and now they want to love God and live for him from the heart. And so we see that both aspects of the new agreement have been fulfilled in Jesus. The one through whom we have forgiveness of sins and the one who sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts. And I think that for most of us here today, we're, we're probably pretty okay with that first aspect of the new agreement. The idea that through Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins. I, I think we get that. But what does it mean that we now have the Holy Spirit living in us, working in our hearts, enabling us to love God and live for him? What does that mean? What does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, does it mean that when we be become Christians, that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and, and he kind of pushes us out of the driver's seat? He takes hold of the steering wheel of our heart. Every time we, he sees sin approaching, you know, he sort of diverts us around it. Is that what it looks like? Are we just passengers now, the Holy Spirit at the driving wheel of our hearts? Well, if that's true, then as I look at my own life, can I say the Holy Spirit is not a very good driver? <laughs> In fact, he should not have a license because I still sin. So no, I don't think that that's the way that the Holy Spirit works in us. But if not, then how? Well, I think we're told exactly the kind of work that God does in our hearts in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we read, God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, at first, this verse seems a little complicated, but you know what? It's not. It's really a simple idea. All it's saying is that when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, he declares, let there be light. And suddenly our darkened hearts are filled with light. And suddenly, behold, we can see Jesus with the eyes of faith. We can see Jesus. And as we look at him and see his face, well, Jesus, in turn, then shows us God and what he is like. He shows us God the Father. And suddenly we can see God and know him intimately, personally. And suddenly we can see just how marvellous and glorious God is. And just how wonderful and marvellous and glorious his ways are. And as we see that, we're drawn to him. We're drawn, so it's so attractive, we're drawn to him, drawn to say, God, I, wow, I love you. And I, your ways are marvellous. 
Do you get it? Pretty simple. There's us. Then the Holy Spirit comes into us. The Holy Spirit is the one who shows us Jesus. And Jesus is the one who shows us God. The only thing that I would add here is that the way the Spirit reveals Jesus to us is, of course, through, through the Bible, through God's Word. It's as we read and meditate on what the Bible says that the Spirit shows our hearts the truth about Jesus and then he shows us God and all his glory. Do you get it? So now I don't think that the Holy Spirit has control of the little steering wheel in our hearts. All he does is he shines his light so that we're able for the first time to see how marvellous God is and how marvellous all his ways are. And of course, after that, well, there's then a choice for us to make, isn't there? We can choose at that point to keep on sinning or we can choose to obey God We've we've got this choice. So imagine for a moment you're sitting in a room. Sitting in a room, all the lights are off. In fact, it's pitch black. Total darkness. And as you sit there in the darkness, you're eating your dinner. But then somebody comes along and they turn the light on. And suddenly, you can see that what you've been eating is actually some sludge that that has come from the bottom of a garbage bin. Worse than that, it's some sludge with with rat poison in it. Worse than that, it's some sludge with rat poison and broad beans in it. (laughs) Hideous things. Now, with the light on, you can see that over on the other table is laid out a beautiful, homemade, fresh, piping hot roast beef dinner with a side of roast vegetables. Not a broad bean in sight. Lightly drizzled with a, with a rich, tasty gravy and a little sign that says, eat me. Well, now you have a choice. A choice to go on eating your sludge or to throw it aside and go on over and enjoy the glorious roast. Well, that's the choice that we now have in the Christian life. The Spirit has turned on the light and now shows us the things, shows us things as they really are. And now you've got a choice. The nauseating, poisonous ways of sin or the good and marvellous ways of God. But therein lies the secret to change. Friend, what sin is in your life right now? What sin is there that that you would like to be free of? What would would you like to change about yourself? Is Is it discontentment? You know, life has not quite turned out as you expected it would? Is it sexual immorality? Adultery? Pornography? Is it grumpiness? You know, you're always always grumpy. Grumpy with kids. 
you're grumpy with your spouse, grumpy with your parents, grumpy. Is it envy? (sighs) Wish I was married like that person. Wish I wasn't married like that person. Is it joyless service? Oh, no. I'm on the band again this morning. I've got to sing praises to God again. At least we're not on morning tea, Roster. <laughs> is it greed? Is it drunkenness? What is it? What, is the sin, what sin is there in your life that you would like to be free of? Now, don't go choosing them all. Just, just choose one. For me... That sin of constantly worrying about everything. Worry. What is it for you? Well, friend, whatever it is, I want you to see this morning that you really can change. And it doesn't matter how big or small you can happen to consider that sin to be. Doesn't matter how long you've struggled with it. Doesn't matter how many times you've tried to change in the past. I want you to see this morning that you can really change. And I want you to see that the secret to change is being convinced that God's way really is the good life and the fountain of all joy. Let me say that again. The secret to change is being convinced that God's way really is the good life And the fountain of all joy. See friend, the key to getting rid of that sin in your life is not simply resolving to try harder. That's it. That's that's the last time I promise. Not going to do it again. No, come on. No more. That's not the key. It's not the secret. And the key to change is not simply coming up with a a set of boundaries or laws that you then impose on yourself, like cutting up your credit card if your problem is spending, or um, walking home from work a different way, away from the pub if your problem is alcohol, or or, or putting on that accountability software onto your computer if, if your problem is viewing pornography. It's not that those things, those self imposed boundaries, don't have value. It's just that they're not the secret to real and lasting change. Because those things don't go to the heart of the issue. And it's in our hearts that the root problem lies. So the key to change is all about changing what it is that we love in our hearts. It's about letting the Holy Spirit shine his light on our sin so that we can see the poisonous lie that it is. A lie that destroys relationships. Destroys relationships with one another. Destroys our relationship with God. And it's as we start to see sin in that kind of light that suddenly it looks a whole lot less lovable than it ever did. That's the key to change. And the key to change 
is reading our Bibles each and every day. And I can't stress this enough. Reading our Bibles, immersing ourselves in our Bibles, not just, you know, opening up our Bible, quick read, okay, I'm done for the day, off we go. Talking about thinking deeply about what it is that God, who's speaking to you through this word, is saying to you each and every day about himself and his glorious ways and savouring it. Allowing the Holy Spirit to shine his light on Jesus who shows us God so that we will see his ways really are the good life and the fountain of all joy. Friends, I know that as I've been doing this for myself recently, that I've come to realise that my sin of constant worry is based on, sin, on sin's claims that one, it all depends on me, and two, that others' opinions of me define my worth. That's what sin has been telling me. But they're poisonous lies. And now I have come to see that that sin has been robbing me of the peace and joy that God offers me as the, that light is shone on him and I see that actually the truth is that he is in control and that actually the truth is that it's only his opinion of me that really matters and he couldn't love me any more than he does. Now it's my job to simply choose to live according to what the Spirit has shown me. I know... That for me, to do so will be to choose the way of the good life and the fountain of all joy. And that's so attractive. I really want that. Friends, I'm not suggesting that this kind of change in our hearts is going to be easy or fast. But I am convinced that it's as we turn our focus each day to God and dwell on his truth, that that attraction that we have for that sin in our life will grow weaker and weaker and weaker until finally it is gone altogether. At which point the Holy Spirit will no doubt give us a whole new change project to work on. But just to finish, can I, I'd like to take a moment just to recommend a book to you. It's a book that I've been reading this past week. Uh, it's called... Uh, you Can Change by Tim Chester. I've been reading this book this week and I just want to say it's been brilliant for me, um, not just in preparing a sermon, but actually as I think about how God is going to help me with my own change project. Um, in fact, I think so highly of this book that um, if anyone wants a copy, I'm, I'm really happy to organise that for you. And I've put an order form up on the back bookshelf. They're 12 bucks um, for anyone who wants it. It's money well spent. I'll finish this morning with just one illustration that comes from this book. Um, an illustration that I think beautifully shows the way that the Holy Spirit can work in us to change. He writes, We're like a child holding a rusty knife 
What we grasp endangers us, but we don't want to let it go. If you shout at the child for long enough, she might reluctantly hand it over, but offer her a lovely new toy and the knife is soon forgotten. Tell someone to stop sinning and at best they may do so reluctantly and partially, but give them a vision of knowing God and his glory and they'll gladly root out all that gets in the way of their relationship with God. And friends, that's exactly the vision that the Holy Spirit now provides for us in the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for taking sinners like us and making us your people. Father, uh, thanks so much for forgiving us and for loving us so much. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in us. Uh, Lord, through him, please give us a deeper knowledge of yourself and your glory that we might gladly root out all that gets in the way of our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.